Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And we're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And this week, looking back at action from both the ATP and the WTA year-end finals, we have a film review that we'll give for King Richard. And we're also going to uh, discuss further the situation involving China's Peng Shuai. But uh, first to begin, and and look at the ATP and WTA finals. Um, one of our popular guests on the podcast, Nina Pantic, marketing manager of Universal Tennis, joins us this week. Nina, thanks so much for coming back on Matchpoint Canada. It's always great to be here. So good to see you guys. This is your second appearance, I think, already of this calendar year, and uh, we haven't had too many repeat guests. So uh, obviously, we enjoy having you on the show. I'm flattered. <laughs> the, the last time we spoke, in fact, I think, uh, well, you had some exciting changes going on because you were just moving over to Universal Tennis and kind of getting settled in there. And you were about to be heavily involved in the uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Newport. And I think you were going to be sitting next to Goran Ivanisevic, actually, at the ceremony, if I remember correctly. So uh, I know it was a while ago, but I was a big Goran fan. So I got to start by asking what that was like and, and what he was like, if you got to know him a little bit. I did. So the reason I think the reason I was I was so, uh, I guess, close or closely seated next to him was because I speak the same language. Um, I'd actually never met him before. So it was that connection and his wife was there. And so we spent a lot of time just talking and hanging out. Um, but Goran was the man of the night and man of the weekend. So he was very busy. So I didn't actually get to know him that well that weekend at all. Obviously, know his whole story. Um, but it was more it was more like the connection of the same language, which is always fun. And there's so many players on tour that actually speak the same language, too. Are you a big fan of, uh, of former players? I know for me, like those are the guys I grew up with. So whenever I see stories about them or, or get to chat with someone who's gotten to, you know, rub elbows with them, it really excites me even more than current players because the kid in me gets all excited. Do you kind of have those vibes too when you get to meet them? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's fun to see what they're up to now. You know, you, you could lose track of them after they retire, obviously. So it's fun to keep track and see what they're up to and then see them again in the flesh. It's always exciting. I'm a huge tennis nerd. I mean, obviously I think we all are, but I, I am a fan of certain players that, you know, aren't around anymore in the history of tennis. And there's certain players I'm obsessed with like Alice Marble that, you know, is not someone that would, people wouldn't know that well, but the hall of fame does a great job of keeping those people you know, in everyone's minds. And it's really fun to be a part of it. And getting to go to the Hall of Fame is so cool. Like it's, it's just like a tennis nuts dream. It's on our list. Hey, Ben, it's not on our bucket list, you and me. Oh, definitely. Definitely. The Hall of Fame, uh, I think, is a, a must go. And uh, just staying with Goran, well, maybe not Goran Ivanisevic, but but on the men's side. And of course, he's connected to Novak Djokovic, who is competing at the ATP finals uh, this season from Turin. And I was just thinking about the stage we reached um, with the ATP finals because we got to the semis and beyond Casper Ruud, we did have the top three players there. And it felt like it was going to be one of the three who is going to emerge. And sure enough, uh, Alexander Zverev took out Djokovic in the semis, then defeated Danil Medvedev in the final, um, which had me thinking, Nina, I suppose we talked about this season being more open, but do you think there's still maybe a bit of a gap in the ATP, like amongst the very best and then like a tier below that? Yeah, it feels more like whenever Novak has an issue or whenever he tires or whenever he kind of missteps, that opens the door for somebody else to take advantage and win the title. I don't think... Or I think that because Roger and Rafa weren't around for the ATP finals, it kind of, it wasn't the same feeling. It wasn't the same level of competition. So I think it's different. It's more, 
yeah, of course, Zverev and Medvedev are proving that they can win titles and, and beat Novak and beat Rafa and beat Roger, but it just feels a little bit different than when they're not there. So, I mean, it's something that we have to get used to if the reality is that they don't come back, but yeah, I think, I think it's a great way for Zverev and Medvedev to win titles, but it's, it's different, right? Yeah, it is. It is a different feel. Um, Djokovic had, I mean, obviously had such an immense season and that's become a talking point. Like, where does this grade among his seasons all time? Um, Given the way he played in the round robin stage, were you surprised that Zverev beat him? I was, but I also think that they have a a rivalry that's interesting and complicated and they've they've beaten each other and lost each other so many times that it's, it's, it's different. I like that. Um, Medvedev made the final. I think he's had a stellar year. That's someone that, you know, won his first title. That's a Grand Slam title. That's just monumental. So Zverev just somehow has yet to do that. And it might be because of the best of five format. I mean, there's a lot of theory behind that. But I'm not surprised by Novak. I think I think he was focused on certain goals. And obviously the calendar year Grand Slam would have been the number one goal at the end of the year. And I think uh, year number one ranking and he got that. Yeah, sometimes I just feel like the H2 finals aren't that important, which is rude. But it feels like that because it's the end of the year. Everyone's struggling. Everyone's injured. And everything is kind of falling, falling apart in like terms of like people's bodies. Like you saw Matteo Berrettini, he couldn't even play, which is heartbreaking. It was in Italy. Um, hopefully he'll get another chance next year. But I don't know. I don't, I don't get excited about the ATP finals. I love the format, but only because now I'm at UTR, Universal Tennis, and we love a round robin. So I, uh, I'm biased. I love seeing them play each other multiple times. I love when someone loses the round robin and wins the title. I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. I love when they do the rematches. I mean, it's just like, it's weird and unusual and different, but also like it, it boosts competition and it makes it more challenging and different. And um, sometimes tennis needs a little bit of a, a mix up. So it's, it's, I love the round robin. My take on the ATP finals is similar to you. And that could be because there were no Canadians playing in it this year, of course. Although we got close with Felix. He was just sort of cracking on that top eight, knocking on the door. Um, You know, you've talked with us uh, plenty, of course, Canadian tennis podcast. We have to ask you about those guys. Um, And we've talked plenty about the continued progress that both Felix and Dennis have made in 2021 best career results at uh, slam so far. Uh, Canadian tennis fans though, would love to see some more consistency so I just want to know from your point of view, um, you know, how you've reacted to what they've achieved to this point in their young careers. And uh, d- do you sort of have that anticipation and desire to see more from them as well? Or do you think, hey, things are going quite nicely so far, considering their young age still? It's going very nicely. I think the best thing for them is that they have each other. Having another player that's a similar level and coming up at the same time as you is, is adding to the competition and making you better. And that, you know, that's what American tennis had so well when we had a lot of players that were coming up together. And we still do now, but in the, the best era of American tennis, that was a big thing. They trained together, they traveled together, they worked together, they fought each other. Like it was so important. And Felix and uh, Dennis have a great friendship, which is beautiful. But I think there's, there's got to be a lot of competition between them um, behind the scenes. And I think that's a huge factor. Um, but they're on track, right? Like, you know, cracking the top 20 this year, um, doing well in Grand Slams. Uh, Dennis just hit a final right recently. So like these are these are all important. And then it, it shows consistency in some degree. It's just, you know, a matter of getting to that next level, which I don't see why they can't next year or the year after. I mean, they have so much time. Hey, you know, I'm not consistent in my job week in and week out. And I think most people who critique them probably aren't either. So it's always easy to, to point the finger. Uh, neither of them will be at the Davis Cup, which was a, a tough blow for Canada, obviously. And you know, it's a difficult time of the year to slot the, the international event on the tennis calendar being so late in the season. 
do you think Davis Cup can survive the way it's been reformed and and maintain its relevancy sort of hidden and tucked away so late in the season? Given how many years it's been around, it's going to find a way to stick around. I think players still want to represent their country in that way. And it's it's a fun format. It's different as well. So it's unique. Um, and it's such a patriotic moment to get to be part of that. So I think it's never going to you know, go away. But the changes have been significant. Where it is in the calendar is not great. Uh, it's It's got a lot of uh, uphill battles, but I definitely don't see anything happening to Davis Cup. I mean, it's it's part of the sport. And hopefully it finds a way to fit in a little bit better. Yeah, tennis certainly likes its uh, tradition, and I, I hope we do find a, maybe a better spot for Davis Cup. Um, just shifting gears to the WTA Finals, which was, for me, quite interesting this year. I, I know you talked about liking a round-robin format, so you probably enjoyed that. And just the atmosphere around Guadalajara. This was the first time in the 50-year history of the event they played in Mexico, and I just felt like it was one of the more like electric scenes in recent memory for their end-of-year championships. Did, did you feel the same way? Is there a chance to get it back to Guadalajara as well, maybe? I don't know how that works in terms of like choosing events. I think a lot of money goes into, into how they choose all of that. So who knows? But Mexico fan, Mexican fans are fun and loud and they get behind players and they get excited. And there's, there's a lot less tradition and a lot less stiffness when you're playing in Mexico. I've only played very small tournaments there, but I obviously watched a ton of events there. And the WTA finals is such a huge, a huge moment for Mexico. So I think they really got behind it. Um, whoever was doing the marketing down there did a great job. So yeah, they, it was, it was, it was cool. And I also, I mean, my favorite part of that tournament, again, I'm going to say the round Robin because UTR uses that in all of our events, but, uh, seeing Annette Contivate do so well was, was, was phenomenal. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the way she closed her season, uh, ridiculous four titles, uh, won 29 of her last 33 matches and, uh, looking at the WTA finals, she had two losses. They came to the same player in the champion Garbina Muguruza. I don't want to say her season was flying under the radar, but maybe we, we didn't consider, consider her the top contender that she was heading here. And she called this season, uh, the one, the one she's most proud of on tour, despite not winning any grand slams. Do you think she stays at the top of the game going into 2022? Because we've seen like these highs before and we saw uh, some major dips after winning slams as well. I think what she's talking about might also be her mindset and how she feels. So like the way that she's playing and practicing her team, the way that she's feeling day to day might be more what she means than like the win loss ratio, her titles. Mm -hmm. She obviously won Grand Slam. She's had great seasons, but I think it could be more of things that are going on behind the scenes. And she's obviously working with Conchita Martinez, who, who, uh, who was at the Hall of Fame as well. And Conchita was a lot of fun. So that's, that's, it's cool to have a Hall of Famer on your team. We already have Novak has one. So, so does Garbine. Um, but yeah, I, I think her season was, was, was great in that she managed to start well and finish well. And I think a lot of players, it's a long season. So you get fatigue and to be able to start and finish well is important. She had an injury as well, right. In like April or yeah. so in Charleston. So like she got back from that struggled a little bit, but I think when, when she talks about how good her season is, I think it's a lot of things that go on that we don't see. And that's a big factor as well. Like having a good, a good day, a good month, a good year mentally is very important. You talk about fatigue from the long season. I think we feel that too. Those of us who work in tennis and, and tennis fans in general probably feel like, okay, we need a break to recharge our batteries as well. And, and yet we also look for things outside of pro matches to sustain us with the sport. And so I'm going to segue over to the recent film that's come out, the tennis film, 
uh, which I definitely recommend people go check out because first of all, it's not like there's tons of tennis films out there. Um, and this one I thought was just fantastically done, which was King Richard, uh, the story of uh, Venus and Serena Williams and their father. Um, I, I thought the acting was terrific. Both Demi Singleton and Sonia Sidney were incredible young actors to, uh, to capture the, um, you know, not just on the tennis court, but off court personas of these two greats of our game. What did you think? You told me uh, before we started recording, you have seen the film and Ben and I are going to get into it a little bit later, but what was your take? I loved it. I've, I've watched Battle of the Sexes a few years ago, and that to me felt like the first big tennis film that did it really well. And by that, I mean the tennis looked real, and that's important. So I think this also did the exact same thing with the tennis was realistic. Um, and I learned a lot that I didn't know. I thought I knew everything there was to know, really, because we've been in this for so long, right? I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. You've been doing it probably longer. But like, you feel like you heard everything. You know everything. But this was a focus on, on Richard, and that we haven't really seen. Um, I read his book, so I know some of the stories, but some of the moments still shocked me, like definitely shocking moments. And I was surprised, most of all, that they focused so much on Venus. And Serena was was there, but she was kind of not a big storyline, which was surprising. Um, but I love it because how it ends, obviously, now we know what happens. So it, it's interesting to look back and see that. And I love that they were involved. That's important too, to get it right. And of course, I mean, Will Smith, like that's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. How can you go wrong with Will Smith? He was so good as well, eh? Shocking. And the craziest part is that there was two players that were in the in the um, in the movie that were not stunt doubles, but like, yeah, they're actors, but they're not actors. They're players. And one of them was Marcella Zacharias, who is our UTR pro tennis tour champion. She's won nine of our events this year. And I didn't recognize her. So I found out later after I saw it, that, that was her and she was playing Arancha Sanchez Vicario. So she had a, she had oh, a really no long she had a long scene and I didn't pick up on it. And I watched, I saw her Instagram and I was like, oh my gosh, like we know her. We interviewed her. We work with her. She's awesome. That's very uh, cool. Yeah. She and looked then, just um, like Arancha too. She's, I mean, it was, it was shocking. I, we're going to actually speak with her a few days. So I can't wait to hear like what that was like for her, but so cool. And then Caitlin Christian also played um, one of the other players that Venus plays in the movie. And she was a stunt double for Emma Stone during Battle of the Sexes. So to get back in and get back on camera and do that again is so cool. Like these are players that, are out there grinding and now they're on the big screen. Like it's kind of a feel good moment, but of course uh, love the movie. And I think it's nice. You can watch it on HBO max too, right? Not just in theater. I will uh, probably be looking for a copy when it does come out. Cause I'm still old school and have DVDs, but anyhow, wow. um, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> um, hey, look, we've uh, touched on a few UTR things, both on purpose and accidentally. Now it seems with <laughs> you in this conversation, um, but I want to bring up one last one, um, which is, um, at least I think it's a UTR thing, but correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got something cool coming up with uh, Andy Roddick in the next couple of weeks, a virtual wine tasting, which you'll have to explain to us exactly what that entails. And, you know, Andy needs no alcohol to be quite, uh, you know, candid when he speaks. So I can only imagine after a couple of glasses of Pinot what he's going to be like. But uh, tell us, what have you got planned and, uh, and, and what's going on here with Andy? Yeah, actually, that's not connected to universal tennis at all. Oh, um, although tennis, you know, tennis world is very small. So we all are intertwined. Um, we obviously are friends with Todd Martin. But um, the wine tasting event is virtual because you get the wine shipped to your house and you get to drink it during the Zoom with Andy Roddick. That's how that works. We partnered with a company, um, Voluptuary and Lucid Loop, Voluptuary Wines. Um, they're based in Sacramento. And uh, we, we have someone coming on to help us discuss the wine, but Andy Roddick is the hall of famer. He's kind of the, he's obviously the star of our show. And it was so nice to get him to, to agree to do it. Cause it's like, a, you know, an hour of his time, he's going to come on, he'll do a Q and a, he'll talk with our host, Nick Monroe, 
um, who's a doubles pro, obviously. So he's gonna he's gonna be the host. And we've had Todd. Nick on the podcast this year. Actually. Yeah, of we course. Have. Nick's awesome. So yeah, Nick and Todd are the co-hosts, and then Andy is our star with a bit of wine tasting to get you through the evening. Uh, it's virtual, yeah, but you know we're still kind of in that that strange event space with with COVID. So I think that's not that unusual. Um, but people can still get register if they want to. Um, if you go to tennisfame.com slash chat with Andy and like registration closes on the 23rd, but unfortunately for you guys, it does not ship to Canada or oh, Utah. No. Oh, yeah. But you can sign, you can register for just like 35 bucks and then you get to uh, just join without alcohol and you get to be part of it and you can drink your own booze and <laughs> you get access to the chat. And it's cool. Cause we're going to have like the cameras on and people will be able to ask questions uh, through the chat, but like you can ask Andy Roddick, whatever you want. And hopefully your question gets brought up during the conversation, which is like a pretty once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, but yeah, the hall of fame, I'm actually on this like emerging leaders council. And that's how we started planning ways to kind of engage with a younger crowd and make sure people know about the hall of fame all year, not just in July when we all talk about it. And that was kind of our goal. So it's fun to be on this board and, and you work with tennis and work with someone like Andy Roddick, which like we talked about earlier, you know, these players are retired. You don't get to really talk about them or cover them or interview them. So um, yeah, I think he agreed because he knows Nick from Tennis Channel, but also because who doesn't like wine? And he's like, I guess just launched a bourbon company with Peyton Manning. So small world. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly think uh, if I'm ranking like the most engaging, fun personalities that we've had on eight, on the ATP tour, definitely Andy Roddick is, is up there. We, we chatted for him with him, I think the other year, Mike, for just about five, 10 minutes. Um, so I think that's going to be an absolute blast. Um, Nina, it's always an absolute blast when we have you on the podcast. Thanks so much uh, for your insights as always. And uh, we hope to have you again uh, very soon if we can. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nina. Talk to you soon. There you have it. Nina Pantic, a marketing manager for Universal Tennis, also a writer, host, producer, and of course, going to be involved in a great little wine, virtual wine tasting with Andy Roddick. Um, I'm very envious of this. If we can take part in any capacity, I would love to. And uh, I, Mike, I don't know if you know the Universal Tennis Platform well, but it's starting to surge here in Canada too. And, um, you know, players like myself who play OTA tournaments, or if you're in a different province, you're playing um, san sanctioned events like in Alberta, Quebec, wherever it may be, um, you can qualify and get a UTR rating. And you can register on the website for free. You have a UTR rating. And it's a pretty good, like, measure of where you're fitting in level-wise uh, to basically kind of any other player around the world. And it's like a pretty analytical system, which is pretty efficient. I've definitely heard more and more about it the past couple of years. Um, I don't qualify anywhere near being able to get a UTR ranking myself. <laughs> oh, no, you can get one. You can get you one. Can't get one on might... the out... Can you get one on like the public courts? That no well, no, 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 you, you can't. You can't. Right. I'm just saying if you played any kind of sanctioned event, like whatever, if it's, you know, a 3.0 tournament or something, you, you would still get a rating. But right. what's uh, the lowest nine... level tournament? What what point? Oh, like what am I looking at here? Ooh, they might. I'm. They might do two point I need like a um, negative two point That's what I need. Okay. <laughs> what what is your ranking, yourself. by the way? What is your UTR number? So I'm about an eight at the okay. moment, um, which is which is not bad. You actually get a world ranking too, I believe. Um, so if you want me to really put myself out there, I think I could tell you my world ranking. Like everybody, overall. go Google Ben Lewis UTR right now. <laughs> you can find out your actual actual he ranking in the actual ranking in the universe or something, but there's like, yeah, you have a world adult ranking, which mine is, uh, 
30, just uh, 33,460 at the moment. Um, so maybe in the world. Uh, maybe in the world. So maybe getting inside the top 30,000 could be a good goal for me. Right. I, I'll try and get in the top 10 million. Um, okay. We should have asked Nina what her number is because she used to play as well. Oh, I, and once you have, uh, once you've registered, you can look anybody up too. Well, there, so. I know what I'm doing when we stop recording then. <laughs> but what exactly. do we want to recap from our chat with Nina? It was great to have her on again, by the way. Yeah, it was great to have her on. Um, you know, she mentioned liking the round robin format of the ATP and WTA finals. And it is interesting because uh, you've had moments in the past, and I saw a stat about this, of when someone defeats someone in a round robin for the ATP finals, for example, and they have a rematch, the rematch goes, goes the other way. Goes the other way ten out of eighteen times, which is wow. a little a little surprising. Maybe um, maybe it's not surprising. You just make that tactical adjustment and you have an opportunity. But uh, yeah, it is kind of a fun format to see. Like, okay, how can this player adjust? They lost in the round robin in straight sets, mm-hmm. and we got the rematch on the WTA finals. And again, Garbina Muguruza defeated Annette Contivate in straight sets, which is no easy feat this season, especially the tail end of the season. And I was I was digging through some numbers as I mentioned. I think with Nina Contivate closed the season 29 and four and she had four titles from august on uh to the end of the season she won cleveland in august okay not a big title but then ostrava and the kremlin club two wta 500s she won the transylvania open and beat halep in the final there leading into the wta finals and you think about her making her first ever appearance here in guadalajara and getting to the final like what a ridiculous season yeah finished of the year both her and Paula Badosa impressed me so much with their, you know, just steady improvement throughout the year and, and finishing strong and both not only deserving to be in the final eight, but uh, not being satisfied with that. It's not like they just showed up and said, oh, this is cool. We're here playing with, so you know, the greatest players on the tour, uh, you know, but, mm-hmm. but not quite sure if they belong. They obviously believe they belong and, and prove that with both of them reaching the semifinals and Contivate going to the finals, of course. And, and for her, the Estonian you know, huge ranking jump this year. Going to be interesting to see now how she parlays this into 2022 when the season starts. Does that just continue? Um, and and Garbine Muguruza adds to an already super impressive career, uh, multiple slam winner, and now this as well. And the fact that, as you mentioned earlier, she said this season was so satisfying, one of the most, if not the most satisfying of her career, uh, you know, speaks volumes to what this achievement means for her. Yeah, and uh, she really bounced back as she um, and Nina kind of um, made this point while she started really well and finished really well and she had injury issues in the middle of the season kind of affected her clay court swing and didn't do much at Wimbledon, Uh, but then she really bounced back she won Chicago which is a WTA 500 she did okay at the US Open round of 16, and then to finish with uh, winning one of the biggest titles of the year I think. you know, qualify this similar to like a WTA 1000 um, in terms of priority. That's, that's a huge way to finish and uh, seeing her number three again in the rankings. I mean, this wow. is a former world number one. I, I look at the first few names of the rankings and it's familiarity in the sense like Barty's holding number one, Arena Sabalenka is holding number two. Now Muguruza up to number three, which is a big deal. Here is where it gets a little strange when I go outside the top 10. Sophia Kennan, who is, of course, WTA Player of the Year in 2020. She's dropped to number 12. Naomi Osaka is 13th. Alina Svitolina is 15th. So some just unusual shifts in movement in the rankings. Right. And you, if we're talking about Kennan and Osaka, that's really just matter of fact, they, they didn't play much this year. 
True. And, and Bianca Andreescu, I'm going to throw her name in there as well, because she had kind of established herself as a good top 10 presence for, uh, you know, 2019, 2020, then missed most of the pandemic with injuries. You know, last I checked, she was in the mid 20s, 24, 25, 46 um, now, 46. Holy smokes. OK, you can yeah. tell I haven't checked my rankings well, in, a that's, week or, yeah. in a week or so. What a, what a difference. So so that means, I guess, uh, Leila Annie Fernandez is the number one uh, ranked Canadian in the world in singles. Yes, and uh, she'll finish a first, the season. Which is a first for her. That is, and she'll finish the season uh, 24th, which is the career high. So she'll she'll stay put there. Amazing. Um, Amazing. But, if you had said at the start of 2021 that Fernandez would finish 24th in the world, I think we'd all have taken that as, as Canadian tennis fans. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we remember her goal, I think, at the front end of the year. We were astonished the goal was top 10, but she, I would say she backed it up getting inside the top 25. That's Not too that's far enough. off not too far off at all. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity to keep uh, that ranking going up, I think in 2022 for much of the season. Um, let's shift course. We had a planned like movie review and we touched on King Richard with Nina Pantic. Um, and we of course got to go to the special events screening. Thanks so much to Warner brothers Canada for that. Uh, I'll start with you, Mike, just your general thoughts on the film. Um, yeah. What did you think? Well, walking in, first of all, I knew I was in the right place when I saw none other than Canada's Tom Tebbett sitting there with a friend of his. Um, yeah. uh, pop, actually, he didn't have a popcorn in hand because Tom's, you know, a healthy eater and whatnot and still an avid tennis player. But it was great to see Tom in there. I knew I was in the right, right spot and I hadn't seen him in person in quite some time due to the pandemic. So we shared a couple laughs, which was uh, nice. And then obviously the movie itself, I tried to keep my expectations going in sort of like mid-range because... I didn't want to get too carried away that Will Smith was in a tennis movie, which I thought was pretty, um, pretty flipping cool. Um, but then I also thought, are they going to just gloss over everything? Are they going to make everything look like, you know, Richard Williams with this, was this pristine saint-like figure? And, and I felt like they did a pretty decent job. Didn't show the whole truth. We don't need to see all of his personal life when it's a film about the, the coming of age on the court of Serena and Venus and all he did in terms of their tennis. But I, I thought it didn't shy away from, you know, some of his eccentric behavior, rough around the edges, difficult to get along with some of their tennis coaches and, and thinking he had, you know, the right vision, always talking about that open stance, which uh, got quite a few laughs from the crowd when I was watching the movie. Uh, so I thought they did a pretty decent job with that. The tennis itself looked terrific. Uh, the two young actresses who I mentioned earlier in talking with Nina, I thought they were just amazing and so young. I think they're only 14, 15 years old. I mean, they carried that movie in my mind. Yeah. And I found their acting was, was what most impressed me, even above Will Smith, who was so good in the role of Richard Williams. So, uh, yeah, I guess if we're doing a film review, I'd give it two thumbs up. Uh, how about you? Um, I, I absolutely loved it as well. And um, I think you mentioned in a tweet this other actress who uh, she was portraying Oracine Williams, Anjanu Ellis. I thought she was fantastic. And a couple of the most like emotional, riveting scenes for me were her conversations with Richard, uh, you know, when they're down in Florida and they're having and he's clashing with Venus, who is so eager to play and compete in this tournament. She wants to get the wild card. She's insisting she's ready. And finally, that's 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 that moment where Richard, you know, has to decide, like, this is up to Venus now. Um, I've guided them on this path for so long. And uh, Will Smith is is so strong and just like this is a challenging character to take on. Right. Like he is a true character. There's so much depth to Richard. Richard Williams, the stubbornness, um, 
just his his eagerness and drive like throughout he had he's had this plan for as he says when they first arrived at the tournament he's had the plan for nine and a half years he had an 85 page plan written out for venus and williams and and uh, to track them to stardom so uh it, it's unbelievable i think with uh what will smith did with the character and i like the fact that the film kind of always remained an origin story mm-hmm. like we we didn't need you know we didn't need to necessarily fast forward to like wimbledon in the 2000s and venus winning her sure. fifth or serena williams winning her 10th grand slam like we know those stories we we know those matches so this was the part of the story that i i think we we didn't know as well and um it was just also for me just like reflecting on the way the media i think did treat richard williams at the time i always just had it in my head and i was younger uh at, at this point i just had it in my head he was like oh he's like the kooky father um he's the kooky crazy father but i i think um that was a bit of a disservice like he was he well, played tennis, such an yeah the tennis Go establishment ahead. was such a, a white privileged uh, establishment back then it was. you could argue it still pretty much is to this day and in many ways, although that's changing, fortunately, but I don't think they were ready for a, a strong black man to come in with his uh, two black daughters and take the tennis world by storm the way that they did. And I think the film capture, captured that really, really mm-hmm. well. Um, also, in, in terms of how that was um, you know, portrayed in, in the movie. And so uh, I loved it. I, I agree it was good that they kept it to their, their younger tennis days. And we only saw really up to the second professional match that Venus ever played. And then you know, being alluded to, and you could see how hungry Serena was in the wings to have her moment and follow in her sister's footsteps. But I think it's best they kept it to that. Although I could have stayed for another two and a half hours and seen like the part two and just continued on. Oh, totally. It makes me really anxious to, you know, get to talk to Serena and Venus uh, again in press, hopefully at the Aussie Open. And uh, I don't know if it'll be either you or me if we get the question first, but someone's going to be asking them about the film. And I know it's something I'm going to want to ask about because they were obviously heavily involved in the production. We saw them at the red carpet premieres along with their two young counterparts, which was cool. Um, So I'm just excited to see them. I just want to see them play again. And I want to speak with them again and uh, sort of pick their brains on, on what they thought of the finished product. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sure they loved it. We should just wrap quickly on um, the ongoing situation with Peng Shui in China. And I just want to give the latest news that we were, uh, that came out Sunday, um, that the latest was missing Chinese tennis star Peng Shui told Olympic officials in a video call from Beijing, she was safe and well. And the IOC um, said they had a 30 minute call with her. Um, and China's, um, you know, we, we haven't heard them speak on this issue either, but the IOC is now claiming they had a video call with her. And this is still being viewed pretty unsatisfactory uh, from the WTA because we haven't really necessarily confirmed her whereabouts from hearing from her directly, um, just beyond what we've heard from China, Chinese state affiliated media, and now the IOC. Scary stuff. And I mean, I obviously we haven't seen the video or, or you know, I haven't even you're bringing me up to speed right now which sounds on the one hand perhaps promising, but you, you view everything with a suspicious lens when it comes to how the information is filtered out and disseminated. And I mean, we've seen on, on Twitter how, you know, state-run Chinese media is purporting that she's fine and showing mm-hmm. pictures of her making supposed appearances. But I mean, all of that could be crafted and carefully orchestrated to give the appearance of, of normalcy. And I don't buy it. I mean, I feel like, you know, they've almost got to get, someone's got to get her out of China to be able to speak freely so we can get the truth behind it because you know is she is she a captive is she being 
you know, coerced and forced to say these things uh, because it would seem like quite a turnaround from her initial, uh, you know, post on social media about the sexual assault that she um, had to endure to now turn around and say everything's fine. I don't, I don't see how you could suddenly say everything's fine unless you're being told you have to say that. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. And she said, at least the statement we were told was that she said she wanted to uh, um, stay, remain private. She'd been spending time in her home and wanted to keep to herself, but uh, we, we don't really have that confirmation. And the WTA and, and Steve Simon, the CEO, has, has not backed down. And they have said um, that they would be willing to pull out of events uh, in China if this is not properly resolved to their satisfaction. The ATP has not gotten involved in this. I don't know if I should be surprised by that or not, but no. they have stood aside. The ATP sucks. I mean, there's no other way for me to say <laughs> it because they come out with some sort of a statement, you know, a tweet, if you can call that a statement, mm. uh, obviously offering their, you know, solidarity and, and talking about how sexual abuse is something that they, you know, take very seriously. And right there, they lost me because that's total BS with everything they've shown the past few years from uh, Basilashvili to the way the Zverev situation has been handled. And, and I, I mean, you look at how Zverev has just hoisted the trophy at the ATP finals. And, and I don't even think he should have been allowed this year to compete until the ATP held some sort of independent investigation to those allegations. And so for the mm -hmm. ATP to try and purport on any level that they have the moral high ground and support a player who's endured sexual abuse, uh, I, I just, you've lost me because it's, it's so fake and it rings so hollow and um, you know, just what an embarrassment they've proven to be in terms of having any backbone over the past couple of years in terms of how you manage situations like this and show any true compassion for someone who's endured this type of, um, you know, experience. So, uh, you know, good on the WTA to look at some positive, to, to talk tough. I hope they back it up. I hope they at some point say, Hey, there's a, a time frame here too. Um, but, um, again, to focus on some positive coming out of this situation, enormous player response on social media between, yeah. I mean, especially WTA players, um, ATP players as well. And, and those of us in the media who want answers, want assurances and want to know that, uh, Ping, uh, Peng Shui is, is, is okay. Yeah, yeah, it, it has been an overwhelming response internationally as well. And I should say, I mentioned to Nina Pantic about the WTA finals existing in Guadalajara. The WTA has a massive contract for that tournament to be played in Shenzhen from 2022 to 2030. So you can imagine uh, ramifications here if uh, deals fall through, if this isn't resolved. Um, we'll, we'll continue to track it closely and we'll continue with our episodes. Uh, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Moving forward, using all my breath Making love to you was never second best I saw the world rushing all around your face Never really knowing it was always mesh and